0: Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Sunbury Press publishes print, electronic, and audiobooks under a variety of imprints and categories available worldwide wherever books are sold. And now your host, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr.
1: I'm talking to you from the Sunbury Press studio at the historic Christian Baker Farm near Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. My guest today is Walter Herbst, the author of It Did Not Start With JFK, He's got two volumes, one and two, and it's about the decades of events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Walter, welcome.
2: Well, hi, Lawrence. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, so a lot to unpack here. Um, We're going back in time to 1963, but I guess with your books, you're really going back way before then. So... Talk about, you know, why the decades of events, how many strings are attached here? I know you can't give, us, give it to us uh, in total, but maybe summarize your premise.
2: Yeah, sure. Well, first, for 40 years, I've been investigating the JFK assassination, and there were some items I came across that bothered me in my investigation, such as, why is it that when Oswald was arrested there, he asked for John Apt to be his attorney? Now, John Apt was the only man at the time, the only attorney to, inter- to represent any client in a court of law uh, for violating the Smith Act, which said that an individual could be tried um, who was part of a group who were advocating the violent overthrow of the U.S. government. Now, Oswald's uh, uh, uneducated high school dropout in Texas, and he knows about this guy John Apt in New York. How is that? Uh-huh. And four months before, um, Oswald is at a, a seminary college in Alabama where his cousin is studying, and he's speaking there. And he's, he, and he's telling these people that a military overthrow coup is possible in the United States. You know, and in his writings, he says democracy, communism, he said one was twisted beyond recognition, the other one was decaying and died. Okay, and, and, you know, and I was looking at the assassination itself, and I'm thinking, Castro was someone in the United States wanted dead for uh, uh, quite some time. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. People are familiar with the late 1950s, the Mafia attempts to try and kill him, what have you. Here to have Oswald, a member of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, uh, um, defected to the Soviet Union, goes to Mexico, tried to get into into Russia. Everything points to uh, a Cuban connection if they want it, but they don't do it. Okay. And so anyway. So I started thinking, um, this didn't occur in a vacuum, okay, the, the assassination. I mean, there were 26 uh, or 15 assassination attempts against other, uh, or government overthrows against leftist governments around the world within 26 months of JFK's assassination. So I started thinking, let me go back in time and see if I can find any uh, any connection between history, and and the assassination so it brought me back to the 1920s and it really starts with um anti-communism and and a desire in the united states to maintain um uh, a a, a way of life at least from the elite point of view Um, there was a pseudo science at that time eugenics that uh, said that from your blood you could tell uh, an individual's um, ability to either be a value to society or um, uh, a drain on society. The United States even got involved at the time in in um, forced sterilizations, passing immigration laws, and basically to restrict immigration from Northern Europe into the United States. And I mean, as you go through time, the, it, it has a direct connection to the to, to the right wing. Uh, uh, um, objection to the civil rights movement in the fifties. But that was a, that was a small part of it. What happened then was at, the, at the time of the depression, um, there were groups called Century Group, which were made up of people like John McCloy, who was probably the most uh, um, uh, unknown, famous person of the 20th century, who served president after president, and was one of the leaders on the Warren Commission. And, um, these people wanted to maintain a way of life. They saw what FDR was doing, that FDR was, uh, um, New Deal was, was, was taking money away from them against, against their, their, uh, will. They thought it was a violation of their constitutional rights and they wanted to stop it. And so, it, it led to some attempts against, uh, FDR, assassination attempts and at trying to remove him from action. So, um, that's basically where it started. Uh, um, as far as going back to that time, and then and there's a whole series of events that go up from decade to decade as you get closer to the assassination that so, you don't see, just leads you to it.
1: So it's not like there's one character like a J. Edgar Hoover lurking for 50 years that's controlling everything like a spider in his web. It sounds more like it's a a culture or an environment that fosters this belief, this kind of thinking. And it almost sounds like you're talking about the uh, the WASP elites, like out of your elite universities and out of the high-ranking military.
2: Hundred percent. I mean, if it, it, if I were to look and see from that point on, and you can see there's a there's an a, a involvement of it.
1: All. Now, well, let, me just, were, let me just let me just challenge were, you though. Sure. There's nobody who's been president that probably uh, falls in line with that better than JFK, who comes from a very wealthy New England family. Same with the Roosevelt line. So I guess, is it seen that these these people betrayed sort of the more traditional conservative uh, values? 100%.
2: Mm-hmm. 100%. I mean, I mean starting with, with, say, FDR first. I mean, at the time, you had very wealthy people and who were not, again, uh, supporting people who um, you know, were lesser mean, but they didn't like the idea of being told they had to do it. They, they looked at the United States constitution and even the declaration of independence, that they had a God given right to, to right or life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Really pursuit of happiness was taken from John Locke, the English philosopher, pursuit of property. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't like being told that this is what they had to do. And JFK, I mean, by the time JFK became president, um, there were so many things he was doing that, that, that were, were against what, but, 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 and, and to call it right-wing is is really uh, it's a misnomer because it's not, today we, we have a different idea of what right-wing is than back then. Right-wing tr- transcended party politics. It was basically people who were, 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 were anti-communist who were elites and, and then were objected anyone who tried to over to 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 violate certain tenets that they that that they thought the united states had to maintain one was um the policy of containment there after world war ii uh, george Kennan was a u.s diplomat in station in moscow and he was very much anti-russian saw what was happening saw what they were capable of so um president uh, Truman asked him to to, to send a telegram uh, just explaining, giving his thoughts on, on, on Russia. And he, he spent 5,000 or sent or, or a 5,000-word telegram um, outlining the dangers of communism and the Soviet Union. But he came back in the end, he established what was called the policy of containment. Yep. And the idea was to basically put a ring around Russia and China, uh, contain them, don't let them expand their communism, and eventually uh, it would self-implode because their economies would not be able to sustain uh, uh, what was necessary to keep, keep their countries going. Um, kind of what, in the 1980s, kind of what happened to the Soviet Union, right? It, it, it took a little longer than they expected, yeah. but it did self-implode. Okay, so so JFT did a lot of things that violated this policy of containment, and such as he wanted to normalize relations with with, with, with with Russia. He wanted to normalize relations with Castro. He wanted to pull out of Vietnam, which was important because it was a spread of communism. Um, he, even with the civil rights movement, that he wanted to proceed along those lines. These were people um, who still clung to the idea that uh, you have to you had to maintain a. Uh, um, a level of uh, or, or restrict the people in his country to northern Europeans. And then, and, and of course, Canada is not going to do that. And he sold wheat to the Russians and a bunch of uh, you know, other things, such as missile crisis they thought he didn't handle correctly. All right. And so, yeah, so he, he really set himself up for for, for uh, uh, the opposition to really take an aggressive uh, stance against him.
1: All right, well, let's hold that thought. We're talking to Walter
0: Herbst, the author of
1: It Did Not Start With JFK. We'll be right back.
0: The BookSpeak Network brings you history through biography. Sunbury Press Books founder and publisher Lawrence Knorr hosts this program that takes a look at pivotal figures in American history, including the famous, the infamous, and the not-so-well-known. Lawrence is joined by Joe Farrell and Joe Farley, authors of the Keystone Tombstone series of books, available at sunburypress.com. History Through Biography, here on the BookSpeak Network.
1: I'm back with Walter Herbst, the author of It Did Not Start With JFK. Walter, uh, as you were saying in the first segment, it seems like JFK was setting himself up uh, by being against the grain in many ways, and, you know, these days were before my time, so I can only study them as an historian, not firsthand, but, you know... Whatever the reason somebody pulled the trigger, it was an assassination of a president of the United States. It was one of the worst crimes in our nation's his, history, if not the worst crime. I mean, there were others that were assassinated, too. Um, you know, my perspective, it, what, really, what really got me interested as a young person, just besides the fact that JFK was a very charismatic leader, was the, the Ruby thing. Like, here comes Oswald. You know, he's been caught. Somehow he's been caught quickly. And then uh, he's assassinated himself within a few days. And that just smells of a conspiracy. So I'm going to kind of pull you back to all right, the events happened. Talk a little bit about the soup that we're in here in Dallas in November 1963. What's going on with Ruby and why is he taken out? Um, you know, uh, Oswald
2: right I think anyone who knows anything about Jack Ruby and uh, thinks that he shot and killed Lee Harvey Oswald because he didn't want Jackie Kennedy to come, have to come back to Texas and testify um, uh, has to think conspiracy I mean right. Ruby was a, a stripped club owner a club mafia connected Throughout the uh, the decade before, uh, he was running guns. He was uh, trafficking in drugs for the Marcello uh, crime family out of Louisiana. Um, Santo Trafficante was in um, uh, detained in Cuba after Santo being the, uh, the leading mafia figure from Miami and in, in, in Cuba but was detained by Castro, and they were trying to get him out. Ruby who sent uh um to uh, to cuba to, to assist in that effort, meanwhile he approached the FBI became an informant and went out and bought himself uh wires and you know and secret hidden microphones. and um, yeah. there's so much to this man and, and and then there's something else that uh is really important sorry as jack Ruby. now when his um uh, lawyer, after he killed Oswald, and his lawyer, uh, to any, anyone that, uh, you're concerned about, uh, the people learning about. And he mentioned one person that was Thomas Eli Davis. Now, the interesting thing about Thomas Eli Davis was he was, uh, he had, he was a gun runner with Ruby to send, send, send guns to cash. But Thomas Eli Davis was important. It was way beyond that. Now, Davis, at the time of the assassination, was was either an a, a American mercenary. He was organizing an army uh, to try and invade Haiti. And um, interestingly enough, there was someone else involved in Haiti at the time, and it was George de who, uh, people who are familiar with the uh, Oswald story know that George was a, 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 a an aristocratic a uh, white Russian who came to the United States, had Nazi connections, and mentored Lee Harvey Oswald from the moment he returned from Russia. The, the, George Mornshad is in Haiti. He's with a CIA operative named Charles Norberg, who um, had a history of mind control uh, experimentation in, uh, in, with the CIA. And you know, he was... Um, Close to a fellow named George Hunter White, who was on loan from the Federal Bureau of Narcotics to the CIA. Now, 16 days after the assassination, our friend Thomas Eli Davis gets arrested in Tangier, and he gets arrested because he has on his, in his possession a letter of introduction to to a person named Oswald, and uh, it references the assassination. Well, it turns out that wasn't Lee Harvey Oswald; it was Victor. Also. And Victor Oswald also had CIA connections. And he was a, a, an armed dealer that was in Madrid. And there was a group in Madrid, this international right-wing fascist group throughout the 50s, that involved some, believe it or not, I mean, he, 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 sometimes you start to, to, to spread this too wide, and, and, and it gets people think it's unbelievable, but the, it really isn't. There were ex, ex-Nazis. That were in Madrid, and, and we know this is after and Franco was in power already, so it was, it was the fastest uh, um, country. Uh, one of whom was Douglas MacArthur's uh, chief intelligence officer, Charles Willoughby, who he called my little fastest. And it also involved people from the United States who were uh, Texas oil man, uh, businessmen. And uh, uh, a private intelligence organization that was created by CIA director Alan Dulles before he was CIA director and William Donovan, who was the OS, head of OSS the intelligence group during World War II. And, and so there's like this full circle, almost like an international potential yeah. for um, uh, the people who were responsible for this assassination. Somehow Jack Ruby is, in the, is associated with this and Thomas Eli David. That's
1: interesting. Uh, I mean, yes, you can go really wide, and then you just get lost in this web, this confusing web. And that's just the way that intelligence and spy networks work. Nobody knows the whole story. Everybody has just a piece. And it's almost impossible to investigate and piece together because you hit all kinds of dead ends. And then it starts to look like a wacky conspiracy theory (laughs) if you go too wide, right?
2: Exactly.
1: but, yeah, let's pull it back in, though. It's, it's uh, you know, who was in the grassy knoll then? Was there a grassy knoll shot? You know, you, these kinds of questions come up with people who just follow JF, the JFK assassination, maybe lightly, just have a little bit of knowledge about it, might know the Zapruder film, or maybe saw that movie JFK, which, which right. has a lot of angles to it, a lot of threads, some of them fictional. But... Um, yeah. I mean, you can just – it gets so complicated. But the bottom line to me is somebody fired a gun at the president and killed him, probably three shots. They probably came from different directions, probably wasn't just one guy. And then the guy who's accused of it gets killed by a mafia guy. So it just <laughs> – you know, when you just take those basic facts, it it, uh, it smells of a conspiracy. And so – but we've been debating it for,
2: for uh, 60 years, so, yeah. It's amazing that, first of all, the single bullet theory, which you're alluding to, um, is it, it's fiction. Yeah. Um, if you think from these terms that JFK is still on a private, by Sunday, Hoover's, J. Edgar Hoover's already not, but, but I don't think J. Edgar Hoover was involved in the assassination, but he certainly was involved in the cover up, and I think he may have had some idea what was happening. But by Sunday, he's already saying that, um one person, Oswald, from the sniper's nest, three shots, okay? And so, that's, and by that time, the autopsy's already done. The people at the autopsy had a problem. Uh, there was a wound in, in, in JFK's back, low on the back, and then they probed it, uh, the it wouldn't go all the way through. You um, know, they put the probes in, their fingers in, and it sealed up. It's, uh, um, and they didn't know about the throat you know, the throat wound that JFK had, but in Dallas they performed the tracheotomy to just make every effort to hopefully save him. And right. that was obliterated. They weren't aware. Of so. They found out then about the bullet on the stretcher by making some phone calls. Uh, right, there was a, that, that pristine bullet, the uh, commission exhibit 399, um, was found on the stretcher at the hospital at, uh, um, the, in Dallas, at Parkland Hospital. So, they said, okay, that, that answers it. Uh, that was the shot that went into his back, cardiac massage, the bullet fell out, uh, um, then another, we you know, then, all, then Connelly got shot by all the other bullets, and the third one uh, killed JFK in the head. Well, what they didn't know at the time was that there was a person named James Keats standing or, or, along the curb, and one of the three shots missed, missed the limo. Yeah. Hit the curb, splintered, and hit him in the face. Right. right. So, so now you end up with two bullets. One of them obviously killed the, the JFK in the head, the kill shot. And it was from the front. It was not the
1: Walter, we're going to have to take a break. We'll be right back. Uh, Let's hold all those thoughts about where the bullets are coming from. Talking to Walter Herbst. It did not start with JFK.
0: Sunbury Press Books opens the door to Pennsylvania Dutch and German history with our imprint Distal Fink Press. Find out about the lives of figures in early American history through the Muhlenbergs of Pennsylvania, or Conrad Weiser, Friend of Colonist and Mohawk by Paul A. Wallace, Joseph G. Rosengardens, The German Soldier in the Wars of the United States, or The Indians of Berks County by D.B. Bruner. Check out the wide variety of available works, both fiction and nonfiction, at sunburypress.com.
1: I'm back with Walter Herbst discussing it did not start with JFK. Apologize for the interruption as the bullets were flying. Uh, Walter, <laughs> maybe you could <laughs> bring us back to that horrendous moment. You were talking about a third shot and somebody on the curb.
2: Yeah, so just just to briefly uh, wrap it up, they wound up with, um, with one shot missed and two, two bullets had to do all, the, all all the damage if it was one gun. One of the bullets had to hit Kennedy in the head, so that means Connolly, Governor Connolly's wounds, and all the wounds to Kennedy through his throat, back, and hand, You had to be from the sniper's next one bullet. And the, things didn't line up, so they raised one of the bullets up, uh, the, the back wound up, to make them line up. And but the, the kill shot from the front, yeah, definitely from the front, and uh, not from the back end. Um, just, just the, 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 the way that and his head reacted where the blood went how the, 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 the motorcycle cops on the left rear corner were covered with uh, blood and uh, brain matter um uh, Life Magazine a week after the assassination and anyone who's seen this Bruder film uh, knows what I'm about to tell you is just a blatant lie Mm-hmm. At that point, the Zabuda film was locked up until I think it was 67, 68. but Life Magazine, the writer Paul Mandel writes that uh, JFK is he turning around and facing the sniper's nest and waving as he waves to the crowd, which never happened. So, you know, what was their motivation to, to um, yeah, to do that?
1: Yeah, so who's, uh, the ultimate question, who is in the grassy knoll? And
2: uh, You know, there's been, a, there's been a number, a number of, of, of theories about that. Um, there, there's still um, a Jean Soitre Frenchman, another Frenchman, and there was an alliance between CIA and French intelligence at the time because of the war in Algiers, um, which, uh, right, uh, where the French generals rebelled um, against the French government because they were granting Algeria independence and their uh, connection with uh, US, uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and I think as well. But uh, that's, that's one person, and it is, Badge Man is it someone that they refer to, and there's a roster white. There's a number of cases. No one can really put their finger on it. There's a mafia but uh, yeah. hitman, but uh, no well, one knows for sure. Who it whoever
1: whoever was, it was, whoever it was was a great shot. It was a sniper who was i mean cuz it it didn't take it wasn't like spraying machine gun fire across a crowd and getting lucky this was somebody that shot a moving target had a kill shot on a moving target so somebody who probably trained as a military sniper or very just very adept through personal experience
2: but um i
1: yeah so 100%. anyway this
2: was this was a, like, uh, a trained yeah. sniper
1: Professional, professional
2: hit, a professional sniper,
1: right? Yeah, or governmental. you know a lot of these guys are ex-military. So, um, you know, as part of my doctoral studies, it was fascinated to kind of study the origins of the Cold War and a lot of the things you're talking about, the anti-communism, definitely a real break with our Soviet allies who had been betrayed by the Nazis in World War II, become our allies in World War II, but always at arm's length. We never really trusted them, nor did they trust us, but we wanted to defeat the Nazis in Europe, and so did so. But the relations really uh, are very tense, and of course from there on we have a Cold War. um, Key players in that, Uh, Alan Dulles is certainly one, and we recently did a, a chapter in our Keystone Tombstones book about a guy named James McCord, who mysteriously was buried in Redding, Pennsylvania, near my old hometown, actually <laughs> close to my old neighborhood, and I thought, this guy was living here the whole time. And he was involved uh, in—well, actually, he lived there, but he was buried in Indiantown Gap. He uh, was involved with Watergate and thought, okay, well, that's pretty cool. But as we researched him and dug in, we, we find— He's associated with some people like a Frank Sturgis and some others that go back to questions about the JFK assassination and are sort of in league with Nixon and Eisenhower and this Alan Dulles, who was the head of the CIA. So uh, I was really intrigued to learn that Dulles referred to McCord as his best guy. And that was quite uh, quite a statement. But McCord has such a quiet history, you almost can't find out what this guy did his whole life. And, Those are the dangerous ones, you know? And then I, my my intuition said, you know, and just kind of as a joke, but maybe not, maybe he was in the grassy knoll. I have no idea if he was a sharpshooter or not, and I'm just saying that because he had such a, let's just say, a, a, a opaque career. But maybe somebody like that uh, very well could have been involved. And it does seem like there's connections all the way up to Watergate with some of these guys. Did you, did you come across anything like that?
2: Yeah, you know, I used to elaborate a little bit more about James McCord. Um, the listeners who weren't aware, he was one of the ones arrested in the Watergate burglary and uh, served time for it. But his, his name first appears in the early 1950s, and I could find him. And there was a fellow named Frank Olsen who worked at um, um Frederick, Maryland, at uh, Camp Dietrich yeah. involved in uh, mind altering drug experimentation. And which was especially after the right after the Korean War, there was talk about the Chinese doing that in the United States thought they were getting behind and so they um, they wanted to match that anyway. So they were there detention camps still from the Nazis in in, in, in um in Germany, Camp King in particular, Olsen went over there and saw what they were doing with his research and work and was uh, against it, didn't like it. So he came back and he basically wanted out and they, they got together at, a, at like a weekend uh, uh, retreat and they slipped him and a couple other guys and to realized and had a terrible effect on Olsen and, they, and they, they they were afraid what he was disclose. Anyway, he was... It's been proven, but he didn't commit suicide. He was thrown out of a 13 story window in Manhattan. It was a Willard Hotel, but that's not yeah. important. and uh, So I bring it up because he had, a, he had two guys to a room at the time, and the one guy, um, uh, you know, the other CIA guy, he, he calls it in. And the guy knocks on the door on behalf of the CIA to investigate this thing he is in court. Interesting. Okay. Now, the other thing is, when the police took a, 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 this guy, uh, um, I can't remember the other guy's name, I think it was Eastbrook, or it doesn't matter, They checked his pocket. He had in his pocket the name George Hunter White, which is the name I referenced to previously, who was associated with Thomas Eli Davis and involved in mind and drug experimentation on loan from the Federal Bureau of Narcotics to the CIA. So this McCord. Um, he he kind of hovers around in the background. Yeah, uh, throughout everything You know, he's close to Sturgis, as you said, another Watergate person. Co- he's close to Hunt, another Watergate bird. And you see the connection from the 1950s up to the assassination, up to um, Watergate on the same name.
1: Isn't that weird yeah. that the same guy kind of goes through <laughs> that thread for it 20 is, some yeah. years? Yeah, yeah. It, it is really, interesting. Really,
2: really. Yeah, you know, and, and, and so, and, and, Sturgis and, and Hunt, you know, Hunt, was in, he, 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 did he, did he lobby name in the magazine? I can't remember, the, but, um, they sued, I sued them because he, they said Hunt was in, 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 in Dallas on the day of the assassination. He sued them in the court of law and lost. The facts were against him, and there was this Marito Lorenz a Cuban exile who, who claimed that uh, there was a caravan of guns going from Florida to Dallas and uh, involving Hunt, Sturgis, and a host of others. Mm-hmm. And that uh, she got nervous, they sent her back, and next thing yeah, they got killed. Now, that doesn't mean that that caravan is necessarily part of the assassination, but you know, it's kind of, consider the names involved, something happened, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Why would you not show up and down to the same day the assassination happened? And, uh, well, yes, on the court, the, the court
2: he, he, he's, he's just... He just seems just, to show up, doesn't he? I, I'm wondering he if he, up, but he... But, you know, what? he's
1: not... But he's never charged with anything until Watergate. Never
2: charged with anything, other than that Watergate thing. But, yep. but he's never—he's always there, but he's in the
0: back. You know
1: what's interesting, too? He was let out of prison early, because he did, a, he copped the deal, and, uh... And then he lived peacefully in Exeter Township, Pennsylvania, near the Arrowhead Golf Course in a lovely home. And, uh, well, we included him in our book. Walter, we're just about out of time. But, uh, you know, we've talked here for almost a half an hour, and I don't think we've solved anything except to say that people should read your book, your books about this, and go a little deeper into this and find even some more connections that maybe they hadn't thought of. I am going to close with one last question, though, and hopefully you can answer it in a minute or so. Was Lee Harvey Oswald a patsy?
2: Yes. Well, that's a simple yes-no answer. (laughs) And I can, if if you want, I can just elaborate on a couple of things quickly.
1: Yeah.
2: Something I think many people don't know about is that, well, what is known is that when Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested in the Texas Theater, he had on his possession a wallet with his identification, his Department of Defense ID card, and a, a, a selective service card in the name of A.J. Hiddell, the alias he alleged to be. Okay. Well, what people don't know about is that there was a second wallet found at the, at the scene of, of, of the Tippett murder, a police officer that was killed allegedly by a similar wallet, Department of Defense ID card, a selective service card for A.J. Hiddell. Okay? It was buried at the time. It came out 50 years later. It was a local Dallas... Uh, a news team that went out and filmed it. and you see the cops standing there looking through them huh. and they then interviewed the cops who were still alive and they 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 they, they said yes that's what they found it was Oswald how is it possible that he would have two well
1: well he's got one for his left pocket one for his right <laughs> yeah
2: but you, you, that's that's true <laughs> I'm just possible? kidding <laughs> now, I know you are but here's my the only thing and, and here's two points one we have time. Um, why did they... That wallet at the scene of the crime was a like slam dunk that Oswald was guilty if you went with it. Why bury that one? The second one is, here's what I think what the plan was. Get Oswald out of town. He wasn't supposed to get caught. They had this dummy wallet, drop it at the site, Oswald's gone, maybe maybe they take him out of town, who knows where, maybe they kill him, or maybe they send him to Mexico, who knows. And they find this wallet with his Credentials at the scene, and uh, well, hell, you're broken.
1: Your and then Ra- Ruby has to whack him because Oswald wasn't supposed to
2: get caught. That makes exactly. more sense. And if you follow the, the weekend for Ruby, at first he thinks, he, when he finds out what's going on, he, he goes to his sister's house and he goes into the bathroom and he vomits and he's all upset. And yeah. And there comes a point where he thinks he's going to get away with it. And, and they're getting calls on the phone from, uh, the police and from the border, and basically saying uh, that the going to get killed tomorrow. And, and it, 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 you know, no one knows for sure, but the cop on the other line says that was Ruby. He was
0: uh-huh. trying
2: to get out of it, and he thought he could get out of it, but uh,
1: you know, Interesting. that's
2: going to be a future book, just, just, uh, just Jack Ruby alone, because he's a fascinating story.
1: Yes, I look forward to seeing that. Walter, we're out of time. It's been great having you on. We'll have you back.
2: Very good. Thanks for listening. I enjoyed
1: it very much. All right. We've been, talking, we've been talking to Walter Herbst, the author of It Did Not Start With JFK. Thanks for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Check out our website at www.sunburypress.com for our latest releases. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive special offers and discounts.